Hoopaholics. Coach Spins here, and as you know, every time we release a mock draft, we end up doing an audio-only version here for the Box and One pod. Today is Mock Draft 2.0, which is just released on our YouTube channel. Go ahead, check out the video in full there. But for now, enjoy the audio-only version of our most recent mock draft with picks 1 through 30 coming right at you. Hello, Hoopaholics. It's Coach Spins here from the Box and One. It's time for Mock Draft 2.0. And really the difference for us when we turn the page from our first Mock Drafts into Mock Drafts 2.0 and beyond is that we're going to start doing tankathon simulations through the end of the season to try to get some teams on this list. More specific with our fits for certain teams, positions, criteria. It's something we can do now that the trade deadline has passed. We have a much better feel for what NBA teams are doing. We're right here at the tail end of the college basketball season as we enter really the meat and potatoes of this draft cycle. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to our channel for much more NBA draft related content coming soon. So let's hit it here on the YouTube channel, our first Tankathon lottery simulation. And as we hit this button, we see that winning the number one overall pick are the Detroit Pistons, followed by a massive climb up to the number two spot for the Washington Wizards. So this is the order that we are going to be drafting based on the standings and the lottery simulation we ran today, which sends Victor Weminyama number one overall to Detroit. Weminyama is an absolute freak, seven foot four, Almost an eight-foot wingspan impacts the game tremendously on the defensive end of the floor. He's massive out there. And while he's great around the basket at blocking shots and altering anybody who tries to go to score at the rim against him, he's also very good at moving his feet in space. He's so unique as an offensive player, though. While the defense is impactful, what we've really been taken by with Wembenyama this year is just how fluid he is as a ball handler, his ability to separate from his man, and the depth of his bag one-on-one. Yes, at his size, he's an elite finisher and does have some explosiveness, but the comfort that he's shown with his jump shot is truly top tier. I firmly believe that Wembenyama is the best player that I've ever scouted. I'd love to see him get a little bit quicker with some of his decision-making and more consistent out the three, but right now, the one-on-one flashes that he's shown on offense are truly unstoppable. Winning the number one overall pick yet again would be an absolute dream scenario for the Detroit Pistons as Weminyama profiles incredibly well with some of the young stars that they already have like Cade Cunningham and potentially Jade Nivey. Honestly, I don't know if any franchise would be a better fit for Scoot Henderson than the Washington Wizards in terms of being a playable contender early on in his career. Scoot Henderson, about six foot two, insanely athletic. He's built like a linebacker, really strong frame, rugged to be able to play through contact, explosive athlete with big hands. And he's got great last step quickness, which allows him to finish around defenders near the basket, very acrobatic, and can score off of either foot. I think Scoot has profiled into one of the most creative guys that we've seen pre-draft in our six years of doing this. It's why he's a clear-cut guy to go number two in this class and has just that creative spark to him that you want your number one offensive option to have. 
Scoot's fantastic as a pull-up shooter in the mid-range. It's one of his most underrated attributes, as well as his ability out of the pick and roll to create for others. He's got elite feel and competitive instincts, which allow him to manipulate the defense and just control tight games whenever his team gets into them. I think Scoot would be an unbelievable fit for the first few years of his career with the current roster that the Wizards have. Bradley Beal is an awesome co-star to alleviate some of that burden and who's going to get a lot of easy shots created because of Scoot. The front court floor spacing that they have is something that would allow Scoot to play out of the spread pick and roll, which is where he's most comfortable. I think that Scoot Henderson is going to be successful no matter where he ends up, but this would be an absolute dream for the Washington Wizards to move all the way up to number two and get a generational type of talent in a guy like Scoot Henderson. After the number two overall pick, we go into a little bit of a different tier of prospect. And while Amen Thompson does profile as a potential number one option at the next level, we just think that there's a little bit of a drop-off between Scoot and Vic and everybody else. But let's focus on what Amen Thompson does really well. Six foot seven, wild athlete, incredibly explosive to play above the rim, and he is the best first step that we've ever scouted. He's so quick at being able to go from zero to 60 and just blow past his primary defender to get to the bucket. There's still a lot of things about him that he has to clean up, particularly in how he scores in the half court. But this Houston Rockets team needs somebody who can create for others, continue to put pressure on the rim, and has high defensive potential on the perimeter. Those are all boxes that Amen Thompson checks, which is why I think that he would be a really good fit for Houston if they end up in a position to get him at number three overall. Defensively, the Rockets would be better almost instantly. Even though Thompson has a lot of things to clean up on that end of the floor, he can help them so much just by being long and athletic. There's a lot going on with Brandon Miller right now in terms of legal challenges or a lot of speculation about what he's been involved in at the University of Alabama. But if we're just going to judge what we've seen on the court from him this year, Miller is definitely a top four pick in this year's draft. Six foot nine with immense self-creation scoring ability. He does that while being a deep range, smooth and consistent three-point shooter. At the high school level, Brandon operated a lot more in the mid-range as a one-on-one -on -one isolation type of threat. It isn't something he's done at Alabama, but that's not because he isn't capable. It's more so about the stylistic tendencies of Nate Oates, the head coach with the Crimson Tide. Miller has improved more than almost any prospect we've ever seen during the season, particularly at getting to the basket and finishing there. He is a jumbo initiator and handler, doesn't have great feel as a playmaker for others, but his ability to score is unmatched. We stay in the SEC for the number five overall pick to the San Antonio Spurs. It's Nick Smith out of Arkansas, one of the just most complete scorers that you will find out of the backcourt. I compare Nick Smith a lot to a guy like Jamal Murray. His scoring touch and feel allows him to be a guy that plays on ball and off ball. Super smart cutter, pretty unselfish player. He's not a great passer and creator for others, but his scoring ability, both in terms of creating his own shot because he's got a silky smooth runner, which is probably best in this class, and his ability to knock down jumpers playing off ball makes him fit into any type of system. The San Antonio Spurs, I think, need that lead scoring option on the perimeter moving forward. There are a lot of things that they have 
in terms of building blocks with guys like Kelvin Johnson and Jeremy Sohan, Devin Vassell. But one guy who can go out there, create his own shot, is not shy about getting them up from the perimeter and help space the floor would be really impactful for this team. Again, I love Smith's pro potential because of how he can create his own shot and play off ball. He's decently long, more springy than you'd think, and he does rebound for his position. I'm a big fan of Nick Smith. The Orlando Magic are in a peculiar position. They have two picks inside the top eight and not a ton of holes to fill on their roster. I think that they're going to try to build an identity of length and needing a little bit more defensive presence around Franz Wagner and Paolo Bancaro. Jarris Walker out of Houston is one of the fastest risers in this year's draft class. Originally thought of as a back end of the lottery guy, he's been so consistent with his production and impacts the game in so many different ways that NBA teams are lining up to get him. He's a great defender at the four position. Six foot eight, six nine, with great length, strength, and the ability to move his feet laterally. He defends so well on the perimeter and contests almost every shot. On the offensive end of the floor, he's really worked on his catch-and-shoot jumper this year, and that's why I think he can work with the Orlando Magic. If they want to go small and play Walker at the five, they'll definitely be able to do so, and he's a very, very good role player at his natural position, the four. If Jairus Walker is not on the board for the Indiana Pacers, I think that they should take a flyer on a guy like Cam Whitmore, a six foot seven athlete out of Villanova. He's a power wing who likes to operate with the ball in his hands because he can bum rush his man one-on-one -on -one and bully his way to the rim. Really, really strong driver who never gets bumped off of balance, and that's incredibly valuable in a physical NBA game. His natural tools are what carry him right now. Very young for his grade, only 19 years old, and hasn't played a ton of basketball as he dealt with some health challenges during his early years in high school, but he continues to get better throughout the season. He's not a natural creator for others, but he's very good at getting to the basket, particularly if he can catch the ball downhill and in space to put pressure on the rim. What we've seen from Whitmore over the last year is an immense improvement in his jump shot ability. If he can consistently space the floor, whether it's in a catch and shoot variety or creating for himself in one-on-one -on -one situations, the sky is the limit for Whitmore's offensive ceiling. In Indiana, he's a worthwhile project for the Pacers to undertake. He can be a really good complement on the offensive end of the floor to Tyrese Halliburton and has the physicality to guard up or down the lineup in a way that the Pacers desperately need. The Magic are back on the clock here at number eight, and we're going with another elite role player for them. Grady Dick out of Kansas, six foot eight shooter who's one of the better shooting prospects that we've ever scouted because he's such a fluid guy who can get to his shot incredibly quickly. High release, doesn't need to dip the ball. He's just so smart at knowing how to move without the basketball to get his shots off. Teams are starting to show Grady Dick a ton of extra attention in Kansas, and it's no coincidence. He's a huge reason why they are successful in one of the best programs in the entire country. As a freshman, you rarely see guys who can come in at his size, know how to move without the basketball, and impact the game despite taking very few dribbles. He's going to have some defensive challenges, but the length on this Orlando Magic roster is perfectly suited to take advantage of that while needing his three-point shooting. 
At number nine to Oklahoma City, we have the Sore Thompson from the Overtime Elite Program. There are a lot of folks out there who believe that this is a steal for Oklahoma City, where they don't see a world where a Sore falls this far in the draft. I think there's actually a considerable gap between Amen Thompson and a Sore in terms of their projectability to the next level, because a Sore is slightly behind Amen in terms of his explosiveness and scoring around the basket. But there's no doubt about it, he's a really smart player, six foot seven with good tools, an exceptional passer, and a much more polished defender, both on ball and in off ball settings. What we've seen from Asor that we have not seen from his twin is a little bit of development of his jump shot, particularly in the mid range areas. I would consider him a proactive passer, a guy who's starting to come into his own on the offensive end of the floor and profiles well for an Oklahoma City team that loves guys who compete on the defensive end, want to work hard, and have a great deal of positional length. Rounding out the top 10, we have Baylor's Keontae George, one of the more polished scorers in this overall class. I think George is an exceptional shooter. When he's hot and in rhythm, he's really good both in catch-and-shoot varieties and at creating his own. He's never met a shot he doesn't like, and sometimes he can come off as really inefficient or trying to shoot his team out of the game a little bit, but we're going to bet on the overall scoring package that he has. Three-level potential, really crafty with both hands near the rim, and an underrated passer that's a part of his game that doesn't get talked about enough. He's really aggressive, gets to the free throw line a decent amount when he does attack the rim, but is so good and smart at not always forcing and being able to find people around him. Now, George has to be a little bit more consistent on the defensive end, particularly on offense, get a little bit better at not predetermining what he's going to do with the basketball, but a very, very smart guy on offense with three-level scoring potential. I think that's a huge fit right now for the New Orleans Pelicans. They have a ton of wings, a ton of athleticism, and a ton of size. Getting a long-term shot maker like Keontae to pair with Dyson Daniels in the backcourt would be a huge win for the organization. At number 11, we've got Anthony Black going to the Portland Trailblazers. Black is essentially a 6'8 point guard. You heard that right, 6'8. He plays like a lead guard on the offensive end, but it's at his size how intense and laterally quick he is on defense that makes him a lottery pick. There's still a lot that Black has to learn in terms of how to get his own shot off in the half court, but he changes the, the, the dynamic of a game with his length and defensive intensity. I think that would be a great fit for this Portland. Trailblazers team that is trying to win games sooner rather than later while Damian Lillard is still in his prime. On the offensive end, Black loves to play in transition and he's good at attacking the basket in an all-out assault. I was a little bit worried about how his athleticism would translate to the college level, but he's had very few problems getting to the basket and bullying guys using his tight handle and his strength. There's still a lot of work to be done for Black to be a consistent jump shooter, but at the very least, his passing acumen and ability to attack the rim allows him to have a positive impact on offense. I absolutely love this fit with Anthony Black in Portland. Speaking of fits, I love Kaysen Wallace to the Los Angeles Lakers at 12 overall is an absolute match made in heaven. This guy is as rugged and tough of a defender as you will find, ready to come in and make an impact at the NBA level on that side of the floor right away. Moves his feet so well, quick hands to be able to steal or rip the ball away from anybody. Really strong for his size. He's listed at only six foot three. 
but he can guard up the lineup and not get abused in one-on-one -on -one switches in the low post because he's so smart and so strong. On the offensive end, we've seen development from Kaysen throughout the season. John Calipari has given him a little bit more of the keys of the offense, and he's proven that he can be a strong second-side creator out of the pick-and-roll. Wallace's best role is probably as more of a floor spacer, a catch-and-shoot type of threat, which is something he can do right away next to LeBron James and this current Lakers roster. I think that Wallace would help the Lakers elongate their title window in the short term while also being one of the best long-term players that they can get. Welcome to the lottery, Jalen Hood Shafino, the big six foot six point guard out of Indiana. He's absolutely massive for his position. And while he's not the most bursty athlete and doesn't put a ton of pressure on the rim, he is lethal in the mid-range, particularly when going to his right hand. Should Hood Shafino plays such a poised and controlled game. He's really smart out of the pick and roll, already uses advanced moves like hostage dribbles, and knows how to just make the simple pass to hit his open teammates. There are very few plays that he forces, and as we've just seen in his road win over Purdue, he knows how to take over a game when he needs to. Long term, this is a Toronto Raptors team that desperately needs a really good playmaker for others, somebody who's cerebral and doesn't kill their mold that they're trying to build on the defensive end of length all over. Huchifino loves to pressure the basketball, is a very good point of attack defender. He's just another fantastic fit with this Toronto Raptors team. This is in by no way a reach for him at 13. The Jazz have back-to-back -back selections here at 14 and 15, and the first one that we have them taking is Rayon Rupert, who plays for the New Zealand Breakers, French prospect, six foot five or six foot six, over a seven-foot wingspan, and he uses every inch of his length to just impact the game on the defensive end and frustrate ball handlers all over. He's laterally quick and is used to playing more of a point guard spot, so he slides his feet really well on the perimeter. Offensively, we've seen a blossoming of his catch-and-shoot game this year. It's something that's necessary for him to continue to get better at at the NBA level, but if he can be more of a 3-and-D type of guard or wing, he's going to have a major impact on the floor. He grew up as a point guard, and what we've seen from him are flashes of skill at attacking the basket, creating his own shot, or at least using his length and tools to blow past defenders one-on-one. -on -one. I think Repair has a really high upside in this class, and I wouldn't be surprised to see him sneak into the back part of the lottery. He is going to be a really good fit with this Utah Jazz team. Speaking of long-term projects, I also have the Jazz taking one of the highest upside players in this entire draft class, Gigi Jackson out of South Carolina. He is the youngest guy here. He entered college this year as a freshman at 17 years old, turned 18 right around the holidays. He's going to be a project because he's super young, and South Carolina has not been the greatest system for him to develop, both in terms of what they've taught him and his accountability. But we've seen incredible flashes from him at his size, about six foot nine with a good frame of being a guy who can handle the ball, create his own shot, get to the basket, and just make really jaw-dropping plays. He's got so much to learn about how to impact the game for others and how to be a solid defender. He's been abysmal in both fronts this year. But if Gigi can harness those tools in a system like Utah's that spreads the floor, values ball movement, and is not going to force him to make an impact right away, this is a match made in heaven. 
At 16, we've got Chris Murray from Iowa, your perennial 3-and-D type of player. Really solid catch-and-shoot threat. Underrated player off the bounce because he doesn't make many mistakes and always plays under control. His twin brother, Keegan, was drafted fourth overall this past year by the Sacramento Kings. Keegan is much more fluid of an athlete and has a more well-rounded game than Chris, who is going to be a lot more of a spot-up threat at the next level. But his defense is underrated in a lot of different ways. A very smart and controlled player and the fact that Chris can come in stretch the floor play the three or the four right away is probably something that's appealing to a Golden State Warriors team that has prioritized drafting younger projects over the last few years finding one more veteran and come in and help out right away is really important Murray at his age going to be 23 before the end of his rookie season is such a guy Another riser throughout the season has been Taylor Hendricks, the freshman from Central Florida, six foot nine with real athletic tools. Hendricks has been one of the most consistent catch and shoot threats in the nation all year. For him to be able to do that on high volume as a freshman in the underratedly tough American Athletic Conference says a lot about his pro potential. There's so much that Hendricks still needs to learn, very raw in so many different ways, but to be able to shoot the ball the way that he does while moving his feet laterally and playing strong perimeter defense makes him the prototypical four-man for the modern NBA. At his size, he's also started to explore the space on offense of how to create his own shot, getting to the basket and finishing, and even taking some pull-up jumpers. I think the Atlanta Hawks under new coach Quinn Snyder are going to try to reformat their roster and have more length, skill, and defensive acumen on the wings. Hendricks checks all of those boxes and would be a really good long-term fit next to guys like Trey Young and A.J. Griffin. Honestly, the more we watch Hendricks, the more we fall in love with his game and think his athleticism, shooting, and defense is going to translate. Do not be shocked if he goes higher than 17th overall on draft night and even sneaks his way into the back half of the lottery. We're starting to show off the real depth in this class as we get to the tail end of the first round here. Derek Whitehead out of Duke is still on the board. I think this is an upside swing that the New York Knicks with the depth of their roster can really afford to make. Whitehead has been one of the most consistent shooters in ACC basketball the entire year. He's a freshman who's coming off of a lot of lower body injuries and it's hampered some of his athleticism, but it's six foot six with a strong frame and a high school pedigree that showed he can create his own shot. There's a lot of upside for a guy like Whitehead. He's been much more of a floor spacer for the Blue Devils, but he has shown in small doses that he has a really lethal, consistent, and smooth pull-up jumper. If he can regain form athletically, continue to create some of those shots, he has as high of an offensive ceiling as anybody that you'll find outside of the lottery. I wouldn't put it past NBA teams to take him in that top 14, but if he does end up being around later in this part of the draft, he's a no-brainer. After taking Amen Thompson, earlier in the lottery, City Sissoko would be a good fit with the Houston Rockets because of his length, athleticism, and defensive potential. He's kind of a positionless guy, more of a wing than anything, six foot five, six six. He played in Europe over the last couple years as more of a point guard, and he's transitioned with the Ignite to being more of a wing and off-ball slasher, and has really started to get a consistent three-point jumper. He always plays with energy, defends his ass off two through four, and that blossoming offensive game to combine the skills as a playmaker and a catch-and-shoot threat fits in incredibly well with this Rockets team. I think Sissoko is a very high-caliber role player who fits in so well in the modern NBA. The Brooklyn Nets are on the clock at number 20, their first of two selections here in the first round. We have them taking Bryce Sensabaugh out of Ohio State, another really high-ceiling offensive piece. 
He's one of the most efficient scorers per minute that you'll find in college basketball. There's a lot of growth that Sensiball needs to go through as a ball handler, a creator for others, and a defender. He's really porous on the defensive end right now. But you see clear three-level scoring potential when you watch him play. Good frame at his size at about 6'6", creates his own in the mid-range, can bully guys and get to the basket if he absolutely wants to, and has one of the prettier jump shots, both in terms of catch and shoot and pull-up, that you'll find in this class. The Nets are in a roster-building position to take the best player available, and Sensabaugh, with his athletic tools and scoring prowess, is definitely one of those long-term projects that we can see paying off in a big way. He's definitely not going to be ready to impact the games from day one, but if you're patient with him and continue to develop him on the defensive end of the floor, there's just way too much offensive potential to ignore. At 21, the Miami Heat are on the clock, and we have them taking the son of one of their former assistant coaches, Jet Howard. This is a lot lower than some current mock drafts will have Howard, who is even considered to be a potential top 10 guy. But at 6'8", we understand the appeal. Really high-end shooter, one of the most versatile shooting pieces in this draft. Great at creating his own mid-range area, smooth out to three, good off movement with some of the more fluid hips that you'll find, and he knows how to move without the basketball. The concerns that I have with Howard are almost entirely athletic and defensively related. I struggle to see him being anything close to a positive defender because he's high-waisted and doesn't seem to have a lot of strength to compete at that end of the floor. Howard has been cold over the last few months of the season, which is one of the reasons why I see him starting to fall in this draft process, but Miami would be a good fit for him. Speaking of shooters, UConn's Jordan Hawkins can get molten hot in a hurry, and he's had several games where he's changed the complexion of it just by getting a few shots off and seeing his rhythm go in on offense. Six foot five with good athletic tools, the combo guard out of DeMatha is much more of a shooter than anything else on the offensive end of the floor. While you do want to buy in that he can tap into some of those athletic tools eventually to be able to attack the basket, pretty much everything for him right now is outside of the three-point range, which makes him much more of a specialty role player than anything else. I have a hard time seeing him surpass any of the 21 guys that we've talked about already on this mock draft because they have such higher upside, but a guy like Hawkins, for how he can impact the game as a specialty movement shooter and how hot he gets, is a guy that any team, not just the Brooklyn Nets, should consider taking in this range. I'm having a hard time envisioning Hawkins falling out of the first round. There was a point in this draft cycle when it seemed like Derek Lively was not going to be a first-round pick at all, but over the last month, he's completely turned around the trajectory of his season and his overall pro career. He's been a dominant defensive force for the Blue Devils, and one of the reasons why they're the hottest team in the ACC heading into the NCAA tournament. He protects the basket with his 7'1 frame, great length and incredible anticipation, and burgeoning verticality skills. He's been much more teachable on the defensive end than we could have envisioned after seeing his first month of the season. On offense, Lively's game translates much better to the NBA than what he's able to show here at Duke. He's a pick-and-roll finisher and somebody who's best standing in the dunker spot. The Blue Devils don't space the floor incredibly well around him or have a ton of guards that are great at creating for him. But he's shooting over 80% from the field over his last dozen games, which you don't see very often from a freshman in high major hoops. Look, I think the Blazers are going to need a center long-term, which is why Lively ends up being a good fit for them. This is a good value add at 23. Speaking of freshman bigs we like, here's a first-round debut on our mock draft 
from Adem Bona, the big man at UCLA. I can see Bona having a really good pro career because he has a motor that never turns off. His physical tools are fine, not great. He's a good leaper and vertical athlete, but one thing that I love about Bona is how hard he runs the floor in transition. He gets himself a ton of extra points just by trying to outrun defenses and put pressure on the basket. He's going to be an excellent rim running five at the NBA level, even if he is an inch or two shorter than what we typically see from big men. The activity and movement patterns that he has on defense are really what have caught our eye lately. UCLA has been one of the better defensive groups in the nation lately, and Bona is a huge part of that. He's been a reliable rim protector, and he fits in well because of his lateral quickness and recovery traits. Even if he gambles on the perimeter and is out of position, he knows how to recover. And the NBA is increasingly turning into a league that plays at the level of the ball in terms of pick and roll defense. I think Bona is trending upward in this draft class and be a great fit in Sacramento. 25th overall here, the Pacers are on the clock, and I have them taking Kyle Filipowski out of Duke. He's been one of the more productive freshmen in terms of raw numbers in the country. He can shoot it. The percentages haven't been fantastic from him, but having watched and scouted him all the way back to his high school days, he does project as a reliable stretch shooter, whether it's as a spot-up option or a pick-and-pop guy. Where we've been most impressed with Filipowski this year is his willingness to attack the basket off the bounce and how fluid he looks at creating for himself. There's a lot of upside offensively for a guy like Filipowski because of his touch around the basket and his well-rounded skill potential, but he's going to struggle on the defensive end of the floor. Putting him in a situation where he can play with a rim protector like Miles Turner would get the most out of him, and the Pacers long-term desperately need more options at the four. I think Filipowski fits really well at the end of the first round as a good flyer for a team to take. In the most Grizzlies of all Grizzlies picks, we have Jalen Slauson out of Furman going to Memphis at 26. He's a fifth-year college player, one of the oldest guys in this draft class, but that's not going to deter us from projecting him to go here in the first round. An insane defender. He checks every statistical category that the Memphis Grizzlies are looking for. Smart passer, really good at attacking off the bounce, loves keepers in the high post area, and has developed a jump shot this year going back to Furman. This is a guy who just impacts the game in winning basketball and projects to be a really good role player at the next level. Again, screams to us the most Grizzlies of all Grizzlies picks. If they can keep unlocking more offensive potential and getting him to be more consistent as a shooter, watch out. After taking two long-term projects and guys like Ryan Rupert and Gigi Jackson earlier, the Utah Jazz are back at it here with Kobe Bufkin out of Michigan. Even though he's a sophomore, he's super young for his age and plays a lot more like a freshman. The improvements that we've seen from Bufkin over the last two months of the college basketball season could lead us to believe that he's even a better prospect at Michigan than a guy like Jet Howard. Six foot four point guard, left-handed and really underratedly quick, gets to the basket with good burst, knows how to play under control and has started to create a lot more for others. I think that there's an incredibly high ceiling for a guy like Bufkin just because of how crafty he is at getting to his game and how much he's continued to get better over the last year or so. Long term, I think point guard is a position of need for the Utah Jazz. They just traded away Mike Conley and a lot of the guys that they have are veterans who go out there and get theirs a little bit more than anybody else. Bufkin's blend of playmaking on the offensive end of the floor, scoring it, and solid point of attack defense make him a really good long-term fit with his Utah Jazz roster, and that is one that's going to give him time to continue to develop. 
Charlotte Hornets are really thin on the wing, and knowing Michael Jordan, I don't anticipate that he's going to want to bottom out this roster and wants to compete for a playoff spot as soon as possible. That's where a three-point shooter, a multi-year college guy like Julian Strother, can come in and have a massive impact for the Hornets. He's instant offense off the bench, struggles a little bit on the defensive end, but he's got good positional size, is a strong body, and he's really, really quick release shooter. This is a guy that the Hornets probably can't let slip past them if he's still available, and other shooters like Dariq Whitehead or Jet Howard or even Jordan Hawkins are off the board right here. They need floor spacing around a guy like LaMelo Ball and whoever else they will get in the lottery. Strother makes a ton of sense for them. He does compete on the defensive end of the floor, even though he's not the most athletically gifted guy. Just an overall solid producer. Don't be surprised if he ends up going in the first round. 29, we've got Terquavion Smith for the Indiana Pacers. Kind of a best player available type of situation and potential for an offensive punch off the bench for a team that might want to add just a little bit more three-point shooting to it. Terquavion Smith can play on ball or off ball, but his confidence and shooting range are both unlimited. He will pull from the logo anytime he feels comfortable, and he changes the complexion of the game with the energy that he brings. He's a super fun person and personality who could have been a top 20 pick last year but decided to go back to NC State and has helped lead the Wolfpack to a much better season going from the last place in the ACC to now contending for an NCAA tournament berth. Terquavion is an underrated finisher near the basket because he has decent length and good explosiveness when he can get a runway underneath him. There are a lot of defensive concerns for a guy like Turk, but this is an offense, offense, offense type of pick and a guy who I don't anticipate to fall all the way out of the first round. Again, just the overall best player available for the Pacers at 29. As we finish up the first round here, it's Maxwell Lewis out of Pepperdine. For us, there are so many people who have championed him in the online draft community as being a potential lottery pick, if not even something higher. That's a lot too rich for us because Lewis struggles to, at this point in time, impact winning basketball. He's still very, very raw as a prospect. A sophomore who didn't play a ton of hoops at a high level before coming to Pepperdine. His three-point shooting ability is what's going to attract NBA teams to him at the next level. He's got pretty good form, and with his length and size, that release can allow him to play off-ball in the half-court. At Pepperdine, he does so much more as a self-creator, has a long leash to create one-on-one situations. I don't think he puts a ton of pressure on the rim. He's much more of a guy who wants to score one-on-one over you in the mid-range with crafty jumpers, but we have seen some flashes of playmaking ability, high-level athleticism, and shot making. He's got a long way to go on the defensive end of the floor. The Clippers, with all of the depth that they have, can be patient in developing Lewis. Look, I understand the high ceiling and the potential that he has offensively, but there's a lot that needs to happen in order for him to return being a top 20 player in this class.